This is Mike Montero. I'm Erica Hall. This is Larissa Berger. We're broadcasting from Mule Design Studio in beautiful North Beach, San Francisco. This is Voice of Design. caffeinated totally caffeinated uh, coffee it's so so important especially as the days get shorter and it's friday <laughs> all right see you welcome back to another episode of the voice of design Woo. Woo. i'm erica hall i'm larissa berger we're coming to you from our underground bunker in scenic north beach san francisco so scenic yeah so seasonal right now it's it's seasonal. They light it up. It, it's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. And we have a very uh, special guest with us today in studio. We can say that. We're actually yeah. in a, in a we studio. Are. We have uh, Stephanie uh, Lucas, who's a designer at LinkedIn. Yep. Just, uh, just came up from down the street. We like to, Way like, down this is in like, the South Bay. <laughs> down in the South Bay. Well, this is like the Californians. We'll talk about like, oh, did you take the... I took the 101 to the 280. The 101 to the 280, yeah. Well, Waze wanted me to go a different way, but I just Uh, ignored it. Yeah, no, you got to, you can't. Software doesn't work here in the Bay Area. Yeah, so we were just, uh, we're talking about, uh, got this new old book, Victor Popinek's Nomadic Furniture. Yeah, it's like the real book of design. It's all handwritten. It's it's handwritten. It looks like a... Yeah, the Moosewood Cookbook. I can smell the patchouli. The patchouli. (laughs) We were just talking about patchouli in the office yesterday. Oh, really? With somebody? somebody Well, our CEO dressed up as a flower child for Halloween. Oh. And he posted it on LinkedIn, so I can talk about it. Okay. Wow. Oh, and so did he he have the full? He had a dashiki on, actually, and the mirrored... You know, John Lennon glasses and headband, and he went full. Yeah, it was impressive. And I, I actually think that was the first time he's ever dressed up as Halloween. And so it was really pretty cool. And he, uh, he did he smell like patchouli? Uh, it was a photo on my screen, so I couldn't really tell. Oh, you couldn't really tell. It, so, possibly though. This was Jeff Weiner. Yes. Oh yeah. But knowing Jeff, I'm guessing he did not go patchouli. Okay. But yeah. No. Mirrored sunglasses have really come back. Everyone has the round. Mirrored the, the, sunglasses. The, the yeah, sunglasses. they can be kind of unnerving. Yeah, they're not really flattering for most face shapes. Yeah. All no. you can see is two little your faces when yeah. you're talking to people. Yeah, it's purple. <laughs> yeah, wow. I I worked with Jeff a little bit, like way, way, way back Yahoo? in the, the early days of Mule. Yeah, Yahoo. Mm-hmm. We did some Yahoo. So yeah, so he's been doing cool stuff over at, at LinkedIn. Yeah, the reason we we wanted to chat with you is uh, that you've been doing some cool stuff at LinkedIn around uh, the topic of ethics, which is something that's really top of mind for mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. working in uh, in technology right now. And we started sort of talking about this on on Twitter way back in, when, when was that last year already? Your tweet that I reached out to you about, that was December. That was December. Wow, it's almost mm-hmm. a, a whole year, because yeah, I spend a lot of time on on social media, and I'd realized that a lot of uh, a lot of conversations were moving from Facebook and Twitter to LinkedIn because uh, there weren't really 
Nazis and trolls on LinkedIn because people were there to talk about work. So it was the one place we you do could, our best. Yeah. <laughs> to keep them off, to have a, a work conversation. Yeah, that, that's right. So I, I said something like, oh, link, LinkedIn should really embrace this moment mm-hmm. to welcome people to say, hey, come over to the business side where you can have business conversations. Because, you know, for me, at least a lot of social media is a combination. It's like personal and professional. Right. And talking to the design community. Right. Yeah, it has to be somewhat personal because you are making relationships, right? So um, you're you're kind of putting yourself out there. You're making yourself vulnerable. We want to make sure that, you know, you can do that safely. So it was it was a really good point and it, it really hit home with me. Cool. Yeah, because I, I think uh, because most people with any, I won't say like any, any sort of job, but a lot of people like LinkedIn is where people just have their resumes right now. Like if you're looking for like a professional job, and you don't have uh, your information on LinkedIn. I think it seems strange at this point. Right. I think I think it's it's that, and it's also something something else. You, when you're on LinkedIn, you're very conscientious about you're conscious about the fact that this is your livelihood. Like this is your livelihood. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're also conscious of the fact that oh, my boss can see what I'm doing. My coworkers can see what I'm doing. My clients can see what I'm doing. So you're on, if you're on Facebook and you're, there's things that are um, a little unnerving to you, or, you know, you're, you, you look at the people that are on Facebook and, and there's not near that amount of tension and anxiety mm-hmm. that you have on LinkedIn. When something bad happens to you on LinkedIn, it's way more stressful than what happens on on Facebook because it's, it's, you know, this is your livelihood. So uh, we're aware of that. We, we factor that into, to, to all of our thinking. We are highly aware that your image and your professional, how you put yourself out there is sacred, you know? So we, we really want to make sure and um, always make people feel comfortable. So uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's about your resume and everything, but it's also about your image, um, your, your professional community and making sure people feel confident. Yeah, because I I can't really think of, you know, there's occasional, there's like minor spammy messages every once in a while. But yeah, I haven't had like a bad That's good. That means that things are working. Um, (laughs) So there's attempts for sure. I mean, so what you'll see typically like on a Jeff Wiener um, posts, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or any post that gets real traction, that has got hundreds of comments, right? That's where the spammers start to tap their messages into those comments. But we're working really hard to, to you know, anticipate or, or control those or get rid of them. Um, it's not a good experience for anybody. And um, we're very aware of the need for that. So um, engagement at all costs is not how we work, right? We want a clean experience for you guys. Yeah. When I was talking to you about that initially, it was just like, hey, like there, there are ways to just uh, like make this even more welcoming to people. Because I think some people just don't even think about it. Like, right. oh, that's just like right. job stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're trying, we, we have more content now, more, more authored content. We're, mm-hmm. we're really trying to make that more accessible to everybody and more relevant to everybody. So, you know, safety and everything goes along with that. Just, just to sort of tell a little bit of my background, most of my career, I was in advertising. I was in advertising art direction. That's what I was pointed to. That's what I did. I made the best of it. I, I think I did pretty good at it, but it's not what you'd call, you wake up in the morning and you go, oh, I'm going to make people want to buy things today. I can't <laughs> wait to get to work. 
You know, when I, I, w- I had a friend at LinkedIn who convinced me to come join them, uh, I had never worked in software before. I never, well, I had done digital work at the ad agency, but I had never worked in a software product before. So I joined, I said, you know, okay. So I joined the brand design team at LinkedIn because that was sort of a natural transformation from what I was doing. And as I was, as I started to get to know the people there, such a really great group of people and such really excellent design process and everything, I I said, I want to do that. So when I I ended up working in, uh, they needed design help for trust and settings and all login and all that. And I go, okay, I'll do that. Right. And the more I got into it, I'm like, this is meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. This is important. And, um, no one thinks it's sexy, but yeah. I think it's really, really important mm-hmm. and, and I can make an impact here. So I really latched on and that became, that still is, I've, I've been doing it for over four years, just oh, that wow. product. I've had opportunities to go to different parts mm-hmm. of the product, but I feel like the mission is so important and I have such amazing support from the executive level down, sincere support to make to make this place safe for people that I, I what more can I ask for right mm-hmm. so that's what I've been doing I feel like I'm kind of making up for all of the advertising <laughs> stuff you know all this time but um, it, it's a really fulfilling thing and you know I, I have I'm working on, on you know part of the organization that I really believe in I have all that support so I can amplify things and t- and start taking on it. Um, other, you know, additional stuff to that, which this year has been responsible design or ethics. You know, Erica, you, you tweeted out in, in, in December about how LinkedIn is the, is the default safe platform. Um, I saw that and I said, uh, this, this is game on. We need to get ahead of, of this story. We need to not just be the safest. We need to get ahead of what's inevitably going to be coming down the line. So, mm-hmm. so responsible design, as I refer to it, has been my, my mission this year. And I have nothing but support from people. So when I saw your workshop in July about um, ethics for designers, I'm said I'm I'm in, and what what an experience that was! It was I I've never written so many quotes and notes in my book ever in any wow. conference or workshop. Everything like everything and Mike was there and he was you know being Mike. <laughs> it's a strong brand. It <laughs> is. A it's a strong brand. brand. Uh, it was fantastic. 24/7. And I wrote I like half of his quotes. Um, I mean, half of half of my presentation I shared out to my my com- my team were were his just straight his quotes, and uh, what struck me is the the idea of a f- for if you're talking about design ethics, which is a very honorable thing to talk about. It's easy to talk about. Everybody wants to talk about it, mm-hmm. especially with me too. And with accessibility and everything, everybody wants to talk about it. Well, what are we doing? So I, um, I really was struck by your talk uh, discussion of having a framework, right? Mm-hmm. Mike pointed out that you know people can't argue successfully for ethics if there isn't some framework, you know, our version of the Hippocratic Oath or whatever we want to call it, something that everybody has voted yes to, and you can point to. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just doing a gut check every time and you're on your own, right? So I thought that's a, that's a remarkable insight. So I, I pinned that. And then uh, somebody, um, we were talking about, I, if you're listening to this and you were the guy <laughs> that said, red team, blue team, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I want to thank you because um, one of the participants said, you know, engineers do red team, blue team. Why don't designers do it? Yeah. And I'm like, well, Duh. Like, it's so mm-hmm. obvious. And so I pinned that. And I, I, um, 
I went back to the team with basically the design org. And once I sort of put the feeler out, it was everybody was like, oh my God, this is such a great idea. Everybody, so much enthusiasm. And we have very, very, very busy people. Yeah. Shipping, shipping, shipping. And I had people just spring up to to be mm-hmm. part of this, which they don't do, you know, usually when you have a workshop, we play me in my workshop. So yeah. So the the designers, Victoria, uh, I forget her last name. She does Slate article um, over the summer saying that, you know, designers want to do the ethical thing. They just don't see it in their job description right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is, this is what I wanted to do is like try, try and move toward, you know, something that's real. So how did you enact like red team, blue team for uh, a design practice? It was fun. It was fun. It was... Um, when you think about it, it's really a simple concept, right? Mm-hmm. You take your products, you pick, you know, a certain set of products and you go, okay, now be the bad person and break it, you know, mm-hmm. use the product in a bad way. Use the product to cause harm. Uh, use the product to get even. Really, uh, a design product manager uh, stepped up on Slack and said, hey, I want to be, I want to help you put this together. I go, Bless you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Nobody ever does that. So thank you. And so he and I, we we had like four different work sessions where we like hammered this out. So we decided to pick a defined set of archetypes of bad guys, right? We had to be very careful. We didn't want to be too specific with this, mm-hmm. um, but we wanted to define it enough so that you could really get into this person's head. So we we're very mindful about our bad actor archetypes. One example is um, using LinkedIn like a dating site. Yeah. Okay. So there's a spectrum. They don't have mm-hmm. to be evil, but they're right. just inappropriate and making um, people uncomfortable, right? Right. Uh, another person would be like um, an unethical business competitor, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, just a straight scammer or a disgruntled ex or something like that. So we actually, we didn't even gender, you know, base these people that we just put a, sort of a, what we call a ghost entity, you know, like a mm-hmm. faceless you know, person, <laughs> a little, little profile card and with their, with their archetype, you mm-hmm. know, you know, description, title, whatever. Um, and then a quote to sort of start the mindset. Like the quote is like, this person's going to regret they ever met me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like sort of to get them in the mindset. Right. So it was all about, because you're in your day-to-day, you're going to a workshop for a couple of hours. You're still thinking about that project you left yeah. back there, right? Mm-hmm. You're not that. We needed to get them really into that mindset. And then um, we actually actually had these buttons made, which I brought a couple. Uh, I, you, you're, you and Mike are going to have to fight over the second one. <laughs> um, um, so it's red on the top, uh, red team on the top. It's split in half and blue team on the bottom or mm-hmm. vice versa. And for the red team sequence, we handed them out and we said, for the red team sequence, put this on with the red side up. You're now bad guys. And um, we let them pick the archetype, but we assigned them the product that they were going to choose. And we asked them to, you know, in post-it note, what your mindset is, post-it note, what you're going to do with this, you know, feature. And people really, I I was amazed. It was, and this was all a pilot. I had no idea how this was all going to work out. And they just got, got right into it and really, really unearthed some interesting stuff that, you know, as designers, all we do when we're designing software is removing friction, remove mm-hmm. the friction, right? Make it convenient, make it convenient, make it mm-hmm. convenient. So I think this exercise of putting 
the bad scenarios in front of people. Well, you still want it to be convenient, but there need to be some safety guards, right? right? You need to understand that all this convenience is potentially leading to trouble. So um, people people came up with some really great insights. We had a great session. And then at the, uh, after that, we we had them turn the button upside down. Okay, you're, you're blue team now. You're the good mm-hmm. guy. You keep the scenario, keep all the stuff, mm-hmm. fix it, right? Yeah. And then put, you know, write ideas of what your solution would be for this. And the third and last part, and this is arguably the most important part, is how the how might we is how can we take what you've learned mm-hmm. and put a, you know, a list of ideas about how we can improve the design process you know, overall. The things mm-hmm. we talked about a minute ago is like, is it part of the product uh, strategy process? Is it part of the design review process? Is it part of the recognition and awards every quarter? You know, I, I was, you know, somebody wanted this feature. I pushed back and I made sure we did this. Yay. You know, you get a, here's your desk trophy. You know, I kind of think <laughs> like we reward shipping and we reward engagement. You know, mm-hmm. we don't reward this. And I think it's time we looked at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up because the theme for this uh, new season of The Voice of Design is practice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we've heard, because we do a lot of uh, training and consulting with various organizations. And the thing we always hear is we are a delivery focused organization. We're a delivery driven organization. And it seems like people don't take the opportunity to like step outside. It's like, go, go, go. It's like, we've come up with these fantastic machines for making software very efficient. Can I tell you my favorite expression? What's that? The engineers are waiting for your specs. Yes. Oh, I think we, I think we taught, we said that on our <laughs> last episode. We said something like, cause, cause you, Larissa, bring up the idea that people always say like, oh, the, the, um, the engineers are waiting. Oh, yeah. can't engineers have are waiting. Idle oh, engineers. Oh, can't have idle. Can't yeah, have idle yeah. engineers. It's and, a production line mentality. Yes. Yeah. And it's absolutely a, a huge influence in, in you know, which road you go on, right? Well, we got to ship it. So I guess we better get the specs up, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of incentive for doing less work. We've We've spoken a lot about giving out awards for the products that companies chose not to build. <laughs> Instead of just for the com- the products that they did, yeah, yeah, because there's a real problem with in- invisible work, mm-hmm, right? right? And like like shipping code is very visible, right? But that code relies on maybe a certain like discussions that were had or research that was done that it, that doesn't have that same tangible totally yeah feel. because there's no money attached to it right yeah. like <laughs> their stock share your stock price isn't going to go up because you you know held up on this one thing and, and fixed it and and you know missed a few sprints to do that yeah whatever. it's going to be interesting to see if this energy continues you know going in the right direction mm-hmm. I, I i absolutely hope uh and i expect it to at least where i work but um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, and this is all goes back to my urgency of making this thing actionable. I don't want this to be a fad, right? To talk right. about ethics and design, you know, mm-hmm. like everything, you know, is is honorable. And then, well, wh- what's the change a year from now? What's different mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah, how's yeah. it actually a part of your practice? Right, exactly. And I and I, I, the designers, like I said, the designers want to, you know, do this, you know, yeah. this stuff. You know, and it's funny, I actually, in the workshop, in, in my share out, 
I did the same exercise that Mike did where he, in the workshop where he said, how many of you went to design school? Yeah. And then, and then how many took an ethics course and like one hand stayed yeah. up or something yeah. like that? It's a huge point, right? Mm-hmm. You're not given that set of tools or set of expectations, mm-hmm. I should say, that that part of the product uh, design is going to be a, a gut check. I'm like, well, is this really the right thing to do? Or have we really thought this through we, we, unintended consequences mm-hmm. wise? I don't know. That it's 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 a big churning industry and this is a a really this is an idea that needs a lot of advocacy to mm-hmm. take hold, right? It's not going to just it, there's not uh, you know, I think John Meta did this, uh, you know, return on investment or what, you know, what's the ROI for ethics yeah. or something like that. But yeah, it, it's not going to be an ROI conversation in the beginning. It's got to be something about about something bigger than that and a lot of participation, you know, yeah. urgency. So yeah. So, it, I mean, it's great to hear how you like very quickly turn that around, turn the the discussion, which is like, oh, we're going to elevate these issues. We're going to raise these issues and talk about them, which is like step one. Right. And then immediately uh, turn that into a, a thing people were doing yeah, and together. I, I think it's going to be a long process. I think it starts with Maybe we don't have the whole intrinsic process yet, but we have a beginning. We have, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in the creative brief, you know, you go, yeah. have you thought about unintended consequences here? Or, mm-hmm. or just injecting these things into the process. It's going to take time. But, yeah. but I definitely think unless you um, go to the trouble of looking at your product and having this exercise of being a bad actor and mm-hmm. what the motivations are and and what the opportunities are you can't get anywhere you i think it needs to it needs to happen and and luckily people are excited or seem to be enthusiastic about doing it yeah cuz i the, it's fun being the bad guy it it is actually and it's funny we do a conversational design workshop and one of the exercises is you know we talk about the the maxims of what of cooperation that make a conversation go and the exercise that people really enjoy is we it's very similar to what you described where we give somebody a scenario and we say, OK, here's how you're going to violate this conversational maxim. And by doing that, either by, you know, being overly verbose or by hiding the truth or by, you know, talking around the subject mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. inserting your own agenda, all of a sudden you see all these scenarios where other people have done that to you in real life or where right. products do that to you. Yep by withholding information or taking too much time or not having a really constructive exchange. And then you go back and you repair it. And then you see, oh, our software needs to be cooperative. And now people have this visceral idea. Yeah. yeah. I think it's tough because even thinking of software, kind of imbuing it with a personality is somewhat of a new idea still mm-hmm. that I think is not like widely grasped. Mm-hmm. And there was such a kind of we're still so in the infancy of social media um, and having it kind of exist as a platform that began as a website, which I think right. like over time will, will not be the case. But I think for that reason, when these companies started, they had to kind of push away that liability just because they were websites and they weren't responsible for every piece of content that was on them. Um, but now like the effects that kind of help them become relevant and permanent Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not just that you look at people's resumes on LinkedIn, almost the more valuable 
piece of it is seeing your mutual connections, right? Right. And, and that was never something you could do when it was just a paper-based process of getting a job. So so now there's like a, a new thing that's making this product like exist in the world and um, specific, but at the same time, like what is the effect on that of us as a culture? And, and I remember like Thomas Friedman and all that stuff years and years ago, but like the world is flat and people are going to do the good thing and people are going to want the blue star on mm-hmm. eBay. And like now we're really on the other side of it. So yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think designers and and engineers too tend to be over well, engineers, op- if not more, yeah. not over optimistic about human nature. Totally right, and I and think, technology. Yeah, too. yeah, and technology. It's like we had all this optimism, and I, I think we developed this enormous blind spot. Absolutely, and there was this over like you know, human centered design has really been focused on like empathy, empathy, empathy. Mm-hmm. But everybody's only been yep. empathizing with right. good actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so then I feel like the whole the whole practice of it, it was well intended. I mean, yeah. you know, you want to believe mm-hmm. in the goodness of people, yeah, um, and in progress in and technology. in progress. Yeah, there yeah. are all these all these ideas. Yeah, all these really really good ideas. Yeah, I think it was all really well intentioned, but at the same time, I mean, designers. If you talk to designers who like you know study people, you've done research, and you like know that human nature has is a wonderful complex thing and you even see this like a you know in the medical revolution right with like Baudelaire and Flaubert saying like hey hold on this whole medical doctor surgeon thing may not be the most ethical you know kind thing we can do for each other it it should not be progress above all but Mm -hmm. you know back then like people were really upset about that criticism because they felt like hey no, no no this is making us relevant this is you know, this is making it so that we're not limited by our biology, you know. And so yeah. and they actually had to frame out, you know, in, in Madame Bovary, Flaubert actually frames out like a bad scenario. Mm-hmm. Of, like this is this is this person that was, you know, had this difficulty uh, with his leg. The and club foot. The club foot. Yeah. yeah thanks for checking my memory. Yeah, very, <laughs> Matt, I read Madame Bovary a, a, a lot. I've so. only read it once. That's uh, why yeah. I didn't remember that detail. Like, oh, oh, yeah. The the but I love it. It's like the stable boy with the club foot. Yeah. And then the doctors come in and, and render him a cripple. Yeah. Because he yeah. wasn't like a doctor. He, he was some sort of barber surgeon. <laughs> which is, which is how that started, yeah, which right? Which is how that started. And he's just like, like oh. programmers... I'll Just try this experimental procedure on you. It'll be really innovative. And yeah. then like there's a horrible visceral description of foot gangrene and things. That, and then it's like, oh, hey, look, we've, now we've got to amputate the foot. Yeah. <sighs> it's it's almost more about like the criticism of progress yeah. than it is about anything, which, yeah, I had a professor who was very against the kind of tech positivist aspects yeah. of MIT mm-hmm. and was like, really hitting us over the head. With, so that with reminds that kind of me stuff. of uh, this, what came up I, I, uh, during your workshop. Um, the thing that came to mind when, you know, Mike was talking was the scene in Silicon Valley, the HBO show mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, where uh, Richard is having yet another company existential mm-hmm. moment. And the whole group of people he's hired are, are ready to, they've packed up their desk, they're walking out because of something. I don't even remember what it was at this point, but he was there with the rest of the Pied Piper guys. And he said, he gave this speech 
I guess he had just come back from, you know, some anxiety attack or something. He finally decided he was going to give it a go. And he said, I'm here for the same reason you guys are to build cool shit. Mm -hmm. And I actually put that quote as the intro to my share out because that is the mindset that has gotten us to this shitty place we're at right now. Because the technology that's the coolest, facial recognition, for example, Mm -hmm. is also the scariest, you know, and and you get, you know, you get a a group of engineers going, look what I can do with, and, you know, they're, they're just doing what they paid a lot of college tuition to learn how to do. So I don't hold it against them, but, but it's like, look at this cool thing we can do. And, and no one, and I'm sitting here going, you know, um, all I could think of is all the bad stuff that yeah. can be done with it, right? So that's why Black Mirror is yeah. also a very important show to be watching alongside Silicon Valley. Yeah, I know. I yeah. really people tell me to, but it's um, it's rough. Yeah, <laughs> don't watch why. it right before bed. Do not watch it. And right then I go bed. watch BoJack Horseman. Oh, uh, ooh, one, of them, one yeah. after the other. So, um, but um, but yeah. So it's the, it's that I want to build cool shit that really is the driving mentality. Mm-hmm. It still is. And so there's that to contend with too. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to you don't want to you know kill that, but um, but yeah. it needs to be balanced. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a matter of informing it. And this has just right. been a set of because design is work is about solving problems within constraints, right? Mm-hmm. And I think doing things ethically is just a constraint that leads to uh, I think better better solutions, Outcome. ultimately better <laughs> outcomes. And yeah. that's um, that's where the the creativity comes into play it's like okay how do we do cool things with technology and give everybody superpowers without also giving super villains superpowers right or and, even little villains or even like, yeah, yeah, even like normal the, villains normal, i know normal villains now have have a lot of power <laughs> and yeah and i i think there has been like all this like optimism and tech positivism and momentum because I think a lot of people have benefited from this blind spot, right? Because mm-hmm. this growth at all costs mm-hmm, blind spot. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, a lot of investors have ultimately benefited. And then it's like beyond the, the liquidity event. It's all like, oh, whatever happens, happens. Great. And these business models are baked in. Because mm-hmm. one of the things we were talking about before we started recording was that, you know, once the business model is baked in, you can't change that. And that's part of the product design. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Like, so mm -hmm. that's something that I think designers, we have to move away from just being like user centered to Mm -hmm. really looking at the whole picture and saying, okay, what are you giving and what are you getting in return to make Mm -hmm. sure that's really above board, but like everything's free now and nobody has a sense of what things do or should cost. I think also we've just arrived at that first goalpost of being connected. And that was so much of the conversation Mm -hmm. before. You know, there's this digital divide and the world is kind of segmented between those who have access to information and those who don't. And I I think that still exists. Um, And there are, the internet as a value, I still believe in. Mm -hmm. Erica recommended to me last week, I think it was, we, we both watched separately the documentary about the Hasidic Oh yeah, one of us. One of us it's called yeah about people leaving the Hasidic community in New York. Yeah, and it was really fascinating to hear one of the stories about this kid who kind of like snuck off and used a computer and discovered yeah. uh, Wikipedia. It's like I can find true answers to 
anything. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. because so much of the community was about restricting access to knowledge mm-hmm. to keep people dependent on their community ties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of this of this like specific ultra orthodox, you know, you should not read books outside of the religious text. Yeah, and it's interesting because on the other hand, like Judaism is a lot about like the search for knowledge and the search for truth, and so it makes sense that that was such a an exciting mm-hmm. piece, even if that was like part of your cultural background that you could go on the internet and find things out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we kind of take for granted, but I don't think companies are very much thinking through the next steps. And so now that we are all connected and now that it is possible to kind of form these Mm -hmm. global relationships, of course, we have this pushback of nationalism because we are in true globalism now. But in in addition to that, you know, what is that, what does that mean? And, And how can we kind of, what is the like neighborly internet mm-hmm. norms required um, to be a responsible, like global community member that's right. connected. Yeah, because I think that early, in the early days of the commercial internet, I think it did have this, you know, going back to Jeff Weiner, this flower child kind of spirit, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Like the, the well. The well. The well. And yeah, all these, and uh, all these other communities started and there was this idea, I think that people on the internet would be their better selves. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody was like a spiritual raver who was working at Wired and like, oh, this is so cool. We're all going to be transhuman. It's going to be great. And then we've come to realize that, oh, people on the Internet are still people, but now they're people with the ability to like good is magnified and bad is sort of magnified even more just because of certain things about human nature that that we hadn't really taken into account. And yeah, that's something that we all have to to wrestle with. And I think there's, and the problem is going back to the business model is that because so many organizations are not charging a subscription for this and they're like pure engagement and getting ads in front of people, it is what they have to promote. There's no incentive for making changes to the interface that would actually contribute to better discussions, like as much as Twitter's talking about this right now. Right. Right. Because there are so many things that designers could do to foster better discussions and just just decrease uh, inflammatory, flaming, harassing, abusive exchanges. There really just are things that you that are possible, but that are off the table because that would decrease the engagement numbers. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's a board of board of boardroom level <laughs> problem. Like maybe you need people, you know, at the table that are arguing on behalf of this as yeah. well. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it, it absolutely has to come down from people at the top, but at the same time, it's, I think for the platforms that we've been talking about, the big platforms, the, you know, the horse is out of the barn mm-hmm. or whatever that expression mm-hmm. is. Right. They oh yeah, can't, for sure. Yeah. That, cause like, cause Twitter can't suddenly announce a new business model. No. They have to make these small incremental changes and paper them over with PR mm-hmm. and like the same thing with Facebook. Like that did you see there was a Vice article where a reporter bought a bunch of political ads and in the name of like John McCain and people like that so you could say paid for by John McCain. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So you can totally you buy go. fraudulent ads on Facebook. Right. Now. Right. If I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because they didn't, there were no, uh, yeah, there was no friction. We were talking about right. like what the role of, of friction and experience. It's just like, woo, do whatever, target right. whoever. So we're getting discriminatory and that, I think housing that is, ads. Yeah. That is a challenge of working 
in the realm of privacy and, and um, you know, preventing this bad hap- stuff happening is friction. Users hate friction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they hate it. I find that an intriguing, mm-hmm. exciting challenge is like, how do you get, <clears throat> how do you get the, 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 do the due diligence? How do you do mm-hmm. this good work? In a way that does not put the 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 users off, and how do you uh, educate them and make sure that they understand? Mm-hmm. Like, here's here's something that could happen. Here's why we're doing it this way. Yeah. That's again, there's no money, there's no revenue tied to that. Yeah, and there's no you know growth and engagement tied to that. In fact, it can it can depress growth and engagement yeah. at times. You know, I, like I said, it's a challenge. There's no easy answer. I think that you have to spend time thinking about it and talking about it and finding a way. Nothing you do is going to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be uh, an, an easy solve. Uh, it's going to be incremental. It's going to be by degree. But you do have to have those conversations. It has to be part of your approach to the design, and it has to be part of the regime for reviewing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I say, the changes will be gradual, but I want a year from now for us to look back and go, okay, these things are happening now that weren't happening before Mm -hmm. because people started having these conversations. They started making it important. It started, they started to prioritize this. Um, I know a lot of design teams are talking about this. Um, I really want to make this more than a conversation. I want to make this like, and I actually, you know, when I talked, uh, when I, when I did the, the share out of your, of the, the workshop that I, uh, you know, that your workshop. I said, I said, look, this isn't about depressing revenue. We know we have to keep the lights on, right? Yeah. Like, so I think you have to go at it with that approach. Mm-hmm. It's like, we've got, it, it, we are a business. We have to make money, but we also have to do right by the users and um, our members and make sure that we are doing this extra discipline of taking into account these things that can happen. So, you know, you can't come at it as, you know, threatening the business model, but you also, things can be improved. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of confusing to me that like these platforms are kind of worried about putting things, you know, like delaying a process because it's not really like people have another choice. Like if you're if you're buying an ad on Facebook, there's not like another Facebook or that you would use that would be faster, right? Like if you're if you're doing some other process there is a reason that you would abandon that process and then mm-hmm. do something else, right? But for for the kind of like products that these companies have invented, they are often the only one that exists. And so I don't quite follow like why there isn't more, more confidence behind that because it's not that someone's going to, there isn't MySpace to jump to <laughs> and now yeah. like promote your bandwidth. In the same, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and like Does MySpace link, still LinkedIn exist? Is, I don't think MySpace still exists. LinkedIn's the only LinkedIn and Craigslist is the only Craigslist. Right. And and mm-hmm. it's very easy to see why the platforms would have an incentive mm-hmm. to help ensure trust. And so if that's at the cost of a faster um, transaction, it seems like something that as a user, you don't have a choice. I think if you go at it, by looking at the segments of the organization, not just the company, right? Like the segments of the organization, they've each got their quarterly goals. And that's, and they, uh, you know, there's the schedule, the sprints are, you know, planned out according to that. I think part of this goes to the thing that I was talking about earlier about incentivizing ethics. Um, If you can, if you know that there's equal reward for an ethical decision, maybe not equal, but, but, yeah. you know, significant to shipping this thing by March, 
you know, 30, 30th, 31st. I can, I can never keep those straight. Uh, end of March. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The end of the quarter. <laughs> um, end of Q1. Yeah. End end of Q1. Q1. There you go. If you know there's an incentive to that, then it might influence your planning a little bit. But I, So I it's think, the speed of the change that's like people are fighting over? Well, I'm just saying that, you know, if you have a quarterly goal of shipping X, Mm-hmm. the people that are leading that are going to move. That's going to be their priority. Mm-hmm. That's going to be top of mind. If you know that you're going to be rewarded for something that isn't about shipping, then that factors into their. Yeah. So this is all, um, this all comes down to the incentives that have to come from the top of the organization. Like, right. Yeah. Cause we've, we've run into this so much with our, our client organizations where they come to us and they have certain goals for how people are going to work together and when we dig into it, we find out that the bad behavior that they want to change on the surface is being completely incentivized, right? Like a company talks about team players and collaboration, but they're incentivizing heroism. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about building in time for reflection and thoughtful design and considered design choices, but they have really aggressive ship goals. And so there's only like you can't ask people to act against what they see as their own best interest or do something that the organization isn't rewarding. Yeah. This, these are long baked in historical mm-hmm. business behaviors. Yeah. You can understand why the emphasis mm-hmm. is there. It works, right? Yeah. It, it makes the company money. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm just saying that as part, as one part of many things, yeah. talking about incentivizing ethical mm-hmm. decisions in some way, yeah. um, is something to consider, right? Yeah. And so, and so you, since you've had a uh, success, uh, getting people to pay attention to this and like stepping outside of their delivery schedule to really focus on this and think about changing how they work, like what advice would you have for say designers and other organizations who want to start doing this kind of incremental practice change? So I would have them read Mike's Medium articles on design ethics first because he's he's got a very very um, important point of view on that. I think he just published the code of ethics uh, mm-hmm. as a as a as an article too. Think framework, you know that's the that's the magic word framework. Like um, first of all, you got to understand how important this conversation is, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, and it's a long term conversation. But think about a, a framework where you can actually give people the tools they need to make these decisions, to, to grow their thought processes as they're designing a product, to argue on behalf of taking the time to, to do this due diligence as part of a, a new product design. And the framework is going to come from, it's going to start from conversations you're having with your design leadership and saying, okay, what is important to us? You know, what, is, what are our guiding principles for ethics mm-hmm. here that we can agree on and put on a poster on the wall? What are our principles? You have a, a awkward moment with your product manager, and then you look and you point to the poster and go, "Well, this is <laughs> that's not doing that." So mm-hmm. let's let's have a conversation. Otherwise, you're just saying, "Well, that doesn't feel right." You yeah. know, this is a gut feeling that I have. Um, that's the only way I think it's going to it's going to just you know, start becoming part of the design. And, and you know, so the framework that's going to be the foundation, and then and then getting to the point where you can integrate this discipline into your product review somehow. Like mm-hmm. even if it's just 
as your, maybe, like I mentioned, maybe it's, it's something in your design brief. Maybe it's something, a question that you always make sure and ask, like you put it up on the wall in your collaborative spaces where you're having your design reviews. You know, have you asked yourself this question, right? You know, it, it's not one size fits mm-hmm. all. Like it, it could be just incremental stuff, but eventually it'll start to become organically part of the design process. That's mm-hmm. what I would like to see. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It sounds like what's really helpful is just having this other tangible thing to point to that's not gut feeling. So in the same way that you would- everyone has signed. Right. right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, it's so important. And that's hard because mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a hard thing to do. That's not going to be a hard thing for mm-hmm. execs to sign off on and everything because there's, you know, oh my God, stock price is going to go blah, 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 blah. Who cares? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> you got to do it. You it's the right thing it. too. I mean, I think yeah. in many ways it's going to be like accessibility. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, a lot of organizations were really, really slow to get on board with making their designs accessible. And then there's the argument over like, oh, do you do it because it helps your share price or do do you do it because it's the right thing to do, et cetera, et cetera. And then people are like, well, you've just got to, you have to make your stuff accessible. Right. Just do. And I think we're going to be heading to the place of like, okay, you have to, like right now we're having the conversation about like, what does it mean to do ethical designs? Because it means a lot of different things. And like Larissa said, we're way earlier in all of this than it feels Mm -hmm. because of internet time. Um, But yeah, internet time is too fast, actually. Yeah. Human culture moves slower. Yeah. Humanity is same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So, so we're figuring out like how to codify this, how to articulate the framework. And it really, yeah, it's not, it's not going to be profitable because exploitation, like sheer exploitation is always going to be the most profitable. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why we don't have rat hair in our food so much anymore. (laughs) And, you know, hopefully trolls and abusers in our online interactions will go the way of rat hair in our oatmeal. Yes, be gone. Be gone. <laughs> Be gone. Rat hair and trolls, both of you. All the, all the no more nasty things, but still be able to have like good, productive interactions. Yes, I agree. Oh, fantastic. We can hope. We can hope. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thank so you excited for coming. to. Oh, I, I, I have your buttons. I'll give them to you ceremonially. Pretend that we're doing this. Oh, right yeah. Now. Oh, thank you. Oh, cool. Red team, blue team. <laughs> That's just how we operate. Is that, a, is that a Matrix reference? Is that where that came from? It's Red Team, Blue Team? I don't know. Huh. I am the only tech worker that's never watched The Matrix. And Whoa. I know. It's I know. the first one. I only one. just watched her. Uh, the first one is good. The f- first one requires several watchings too. The Matrix. Yeah, the first Matrix, okay. it really holds up. I watched it okay, not be. too long ago. Okay. Watch it. I know you've got to set aside all the gross MRA stuff that followed that. But the first, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's great. No, the first Matrix movie is, is genuinely, it's it's, like re- it's real good. Introduction into philosophy. So I expect Erica to be all over it. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, and it's cool looking. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's all green. and It does stand up. It really, it really does stand up like that Jurassic Park also. Yeah. Minority Report. Really? I haven't seen Minority Report in a while. Does that, did you watch that? Does that yeah. hold up? I remember it being. We rewatched it. Wacky Tom Cruise. When we were staying at a hotel and they had like DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah. DVDs. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, oh, Minority Report. But yeah. I will watch Alien the Matrix, is another really important Alien one for was tech a groundbreaker. ethics. 
Oh my God. Alien. Yeah. Alien was legit. That was, I think that was the first one that actually had rusty hardware in their in their cockpit. Yeah. Right? It wasn't Alien the one that sort of made everything kind of gross and dingy for the first time. I think, I that think was, it's Star Wars was, because Star Wars was before Alien. Yeah. It's always the like Star Wars versus Star Trek Maybe, technology yeah. point of view. Wait, who told us about that? Oh yeah. Brian Boyer. That's right, Brian that Boyer. Was, in the yeah. but that was really neat to start seeing, you know, like, yeah, it's been used. It looks used. It's not just a super slick. <laughs> yeah, super shiny. it didn't just come out of the box. Yeah. That's what's nice about The Matrix, too. I remember reading a long time ago about, like, the costume direction on The Matrix. And mm -hmm. so they really wanted to make, you know, everyone look like they were kind of at home like in their raggedy sweater. Oh, yeah. Right. And then like go into the Matrix and have it's like so their dream more, outfit. Yeah, it's yeah. so much more, you know, interesting and, and uh, riveting to, to look at when it's like something like that where it's not like shiny yeah. and polished. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny even think about these platforms that way. Like when you are on LinkedIn, you're wearing like business attire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're on Reddit, it's a bunch of people in like hoodies <laughs> and weird yeah, yeah. alien is about um capitalism versus ethics and yeah also listen to women especially when they say don't bring that alien organism <laughs> into the spaceship yeah, i i told you i told you kids <laughs> yeah <sighs> well, well fantastic so uh, so go forth and watch uh watch the matrix and uh yeah so thank you for uh, listening to another episode of Voice of Design, where we're talking about design practice this season. Yeah, season two. Season you can tweet at us at vod underscore rocks. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's just get in touch with us like that. Yeah, that's still the easiest that's way. That's still the easiest way. If you have any questions or any thoughts, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Seven will now play the outro music on the thing. We have outro music. We're so fancy. We are. Did you, yeah. <laughs> we have outro. We have outro.